Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. KYW Original Podcast. Always a pleasure to talk with KYW Medical Editor Dr. Brian McDonough. Dr. Brian, we've talked a few times during the pandemic about sports and the medical aspect of it. Uh, And uh, last week, I was listening to... Dr. Fauci on the Steam Room podcast with Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson. And the sense that I got from listening to Dr. Fauci was at this point in the pandemic, he and the medical world have learned a lot about the virus, more so than what they knew in the beginning. So the main question that I want to ask you is, based on what the medical world has learned to this point, you know, I think the belief in the beginning was, for the most part, that young, healthy athletes We're not at risk of serious harm from the coronavirus by playing their sports. What do you know about that now? Um, I think, first of all, you're wise listening to Dr. Fauci. Since the beginning, he's one of the people I've been listening to because he really looks at the evidence. And the thing he does that's so, I think, brilliant, it's a sign of wisdom, is he's not afraid to say, I didn't know this and I've learned it. Because that's the key. And if you've been a doctor, you kick around for any time in healthcare, you realize how stupid you are really fast. And then you realize how you need to learn. And briefly, with this pandemic, we're learning on the fly. You know, we're learning things as we go, whereas maybe something on hypertension, I have 60 years of wisdom and studies to base it on. We only have a year. So everything is new, which brings up the sports question. I think initially there was that thought, and maybe to a the detriment, like if you're young, don't worry about it. Then we slowly found out that, well, some of these babies could have this inflammation thing or people have pre-existing conditions that they don't even know about yet because they're young enough. It hasn't really reared its ugly head, but they still have an autoimmune system that for whatever reason is going to. And that's where we start seeing certain people in the younger age groups having problems. I think when they first stumbled onto an issue uh, with athletes, the initial thought was, hey, they're athletic. They're in the best shape. They should do the best. And sure, there might be one person with a problem. But what we started to find was, and it was coincidental, and I remember seeing it with Penn State, they were just doing MRIs on their football players. And it was just part of what they do because they're really screening for cardiomyopathy or other heart issues that can occur in people, and they're trying to protect the athletes. And, and all of a sudden, they saw that in a certain number of people, there was inflammation, signs of inflammation in the heart. And those people had, had COVID. And I said, wait a minute, you know, this they didn't have any symptoms, so to speak, of, except they didn't feel great for, great for a few days. But all of a sudden, there's these changes on the heart. And then they said, well, should that keep them out of sports? Does it put them more at risk? And then I think then the wheels started turning. Like, well, what else does it put you at risk for? For instance, something as simple as, you know, you're young, but you have joint pain and it's hurting or this, that. Well, do you favor one leg when you're running because you're in a little bit of pain? And does that cause an unrelated injury? Like all of these things started to spiral uh, into doctors' minds and into thoughts in sports medicine. So to answer your question, yes, we have learned that, you know, athletes are not invincible. 
and we have to test them. The other thing which became very important as we went along was how do we stop the spread of the virus in that group? Because, you know, is it, what's the amount of time you need for an exposure? How would you get it? What can you do? Can you play with limitations? I mean, right now, if they, you know, the NCAA tournament, remember they shut it down right at the beginning of tournament season last year. Mm. This year, they probably will have a path to go forward, but with strict rules and testing in place. So that alone allows things to be done that couldn't have been thought of a year ago. Well, the NCAA, I believe, is going to a bubble in Indy for the tournament. So I think that is the case. Um, But you did acknowledge that young, healthy athletes are at risk by playing their sports, um, and, and some of them are, are high risk. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves just came back from COVID-19. He said he was high risk. He said that he had a, a rough case of COVID-19 where his vitals weren't good, and he felt guilty about the type of treatment that he was receiving and that he couldn't share the resources that he had. He also he's had a really rough year in terms of he, his, he lost his mother to complications of the virus, and he lost loved ones to the virus. Uh, Seth Curry had COVID-19. Seth has uh, talked about over the past couple of weeks about how it's been up and down for him since coming back from COVID-19, where he's had off and on fatigue, and he's had to get himself back into shape. Uh, D.D. Gregorius is considered high risk, a kidney condition. So, Dr. Brian, I'm, I'm, the sense that I'm getting from you is that these young athletes are at risk by playing their sports during the pandemic. Yes, without a doubt. I mean, you know, and I think the thing is, I think we got a false sense of security that if you're young, it's no problem. I think we did society an injustice by having that get out there so that, you know, young people are like, Hey, I'll do fine. We'll all go to parties or whatever. And I think, I think that's been overplayed. I think most people who are young are actually being pretty responsible and trying to do the best. And I think Mm -hmm. many are worried about their parents, their grandparents, you know, other people they don't know who are older or at preexisting conditions. Clearly some are irresponsible, but many are not. And I think sports needs to address it and keep educating the players that, listen, here's why it's important. Because the thing is, what we don't know, and and unfortunately we won't know for a decade, is if you're exposed when you're 28 years old and you're an athlete, what sort of harm does it do that you may not realize till you're 38? You know, what sort of things? Like, look at, and this is a totally different discussion, but think about head trauma and how it took decades to learn about CTE. It took decades to learn about concussions and long-term damage with dementia and Alzheimer's and things. And now we know it. But initially, I I played football and it was like, you know, oh, you got your bell rung. Go back on out. You know, that's what it was, even at a grade school level. So you can only imagine what athletes went through. This is one of these cases, too. We just have to be very careful, respect the concerns that athletes at every level have. And frankly, if it's a non-professional sport, you know, even more because they're younger they're not getting paid and they have to continue living and they're not even making any money out of it. You have to be worried about that too. The sense that I've gotten from following professional sports over the past year, and I know I mentioned specific cases in Cat and Seth Curry. The sense that I've gotten is, is that pretty much all the players, 99%, you see some cases here or there where, where a player has gotten fined for violating COVID protocol and so on and so on. Most players um, have followed the protocol, but you know, there's still positive cases happening here and there. 
because uh, they're, tra you know, who knows why? They could be for a number of reasons. A million reasons, exactly. Travel, you know, they could be, they, Kat, Kat emphasized last week when he was talking for the first time since coming back to wear your mask. So he's clearly somebody who's been a proponent of mask wearing, and unfortunately he's still got the virus. Uh, from, from what you can tell, NBA, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, other professional leagues, how have they handled the virus with their protocol? I think they've gotten better and much better than I thought they could. Like if you had asked me seven months ago, I wouldn't even think they'd be able to do what they're doing now, frankly. So I think the biggest step, number one, I think is the responsibility of the athletes. The fact that, I mean, they can do it untold damage. Now I will tell you, there are times I've gotten really concerned. I, I did not enjoy the Super Bowl. Well, one, it was a bad game, but I didn't <laughs> enjoy the Super Bowl because I started to look at it and there just were, there were too many people in that stadium. It really made me nervous that it was a super spreader event. And I just couldn't get past that. I knew 7,500 of them were healthcare workers who were vaccinated, but I also know they could be exposed even though they're vaccinated and spread it to others because they're carrying it. And I just got concerned. So I know what can happen. And I, I think they'd love to have fans, but I think the minute you bring fans into the equation, it makes better television, but honestly, it, it puts greater risk for everyone, for the people, the people selling sodas, the people doing all these different interactions. They can try to make it as good as they can, but as you said, you can slip up. So I, I, I still would rather have the bubble experience. Now, as a viewer, I hate the bubble experience. Like the NBA, the bubble was kind of boring. It, it's the fun of seeing people jump up and scream to me. That's as important as the players playing. But that being said, it was something. But I, I do worry about that. Uh, I saw a Villanova game where they, I think they traveled. It was Butler, I believe. I mean, they were fans. And I thought, here they are. Like, if one or two players get it, that's their tournament hopes that could be gone. And it could be just a, a fan uh, who is in the stands. I mean, you worry about those things. There's I don't know how you control it. There's distance between, from what I can tell, you know, because some places do have fans. There's distance between fans and the players. And this actually leads to my next question. It was something that I gathered based on the research that the NFL did this year. And I think the NBA actually might've done, uh, might've, might've talked about this a little bit too, when discussing their case by case. Um, I get the sense that the NFL was saying that transmission was not happening during the games. These players are up right against one another. They're very close. Uh, they're obviously breathing on one another. They're not wearing masks. They have their helmets on, not wearing masks. But the sense that I got from the NFL research is that they, the NFL did not believe that transmission was happening on the field. I, there's, I guess good, there's good science behind that because here's the thing. I mean, it can happen. First of all, it can. But, but by and large, it's not going to be your number one cause. Because if you think about it, the things we do know that are – you can't even argue against it. I can tell you from early on – seeing patients and even watching our own experiences, doctors wearing masks and wearing masks all the time in our settings indoors as doctors prevented thousands of not hundreds of thousands of cases of COVID because a tight fitting mask over your nose, over your, over your uh, mouth will protect you. And, and especially if it's tight fitting and it's fit for you. So we learned early on that that's a tremendous source of protection. And thank goodness, although it can be spread by surfaces, it's not nearly as bad as we thought. It's clearly the aerosol thing. So by wearing the masks, we made a big difference. The second thing that the pro athletes are doing is they're taking advantage, as you said, about distance. So the fans 
I worry about when I say fans in the stands, I worry, I worry about more about the fans with each other. If it's one family that's been together, fine. But if there's another family right there, do they get close together? And you have, it's usually length of exposure and, and strength of the virus. So if you have 15 minutes of exposure in an area that is not well ventilated, your chances of getting it are going up. That's why house parties, eating indoors, those things are more problematic than being outside even because you have the distance and you have the and, and greater air. So an athlete, they have the biggest advantages. They're all tested ahead of time. Now the mm -hmm. testing isn't hundred percent. You, you might have that negative window, but by and large, if people are tested on such a regular basis, you, you'd make that window less and less and less. So it's, it's hard to believe that many players are positive. Now we had those instances. I think it was Steph Curry during a game, halfway through the game, they pulled him out. And there's been instances like that. There was the Justin Turner thing where he went onto the field. That's an issue where you're like, wait a minute, that's a super spreader potential, those kinds of things. And, and that's where it's a concern. But by and large, they've watched out for those things. Well, Seth, Seth Curry, you said Steph. Steph is his brother. Seth, Seth, yes. Seth Curry um, was actually not playing that night in Brooklyn. He had, a, I think, an ankle injury or but something. But I think there were shots of him. I think he was talking. He was, he was on the bench. Down. He was yeah. on the bench with yeah. his mask in the first quarter. Right. And, and uh, um, he was, you know, he was sitting next to Joel for about th four to five minutes. But Joel did not end up going into the health and safety protocol. I think what Doc Rivers said ended up putting – uh, about four players in the health and safety protocol because Seth tested positive, which they didn't find out he tested positive oh, until, until about like a quarter into that game. Right, right. Um, is, is apparently they, they, you know, they were at some sort of um, meeting or breakfast or something like that, where they were at these large tables that R Rivers said they were at these large tables and spread and spread out, but I guess not spread out enough. And they learned, I guess they learned from that, um, well, that and, incident. and there's the randomness of it. I mean, you think about, while we're talking sports, think about the Super Bowl and that they tested a barber and then they were able to, within two haircuts, get that result back and stop that barber who was positive from cutting everybody's hair. Kansas City, right, and yeah. It can happen, and they were probably, and again, I'm sure the players were wearing masks and the barber was, but you still have that increased chance of exposure, and that's what they're trying to minimize. So like, so like something like the Justin Turner episode, that was reprehensible. There was no excuse for that. He shouldn't have gone out, and he should have been prevented from going out because he put a lot of people's lives at risk. He knew he was positive, and somebody has to have the guts to say, get the heck off the field. You're not celebrating because that could be somebody's last celebration. That kind of thing has happened, but if you think about it, I'm pointing back to a World Series celebration. We haven't had many of those things. That's where they've been responsible. To the best of my knowledge, when Seth Curry was positive, they pulled him. That's all you can do. I think they're believing the science and they're believing the physicians and the staff. And I think everybody's working on it together. Because again, the, the, one, the other issue I have with, pro, with, with all sports is the coaches who like, you know, they're protecting their chin by wearing a mask, but they're not doing anything else because the mask is pulled down. Like, well, why are you even going through the charade of wearing a mask? I mean, leave it over your mouth and your nose because that's when you're going to spread it and that, or you're going to get it. And they're on the sidelines. And yet you constantly see them pull it down. And, and, and it's crazy. That, that to me, you can, I know it's muffled, but you can hear a coach screaming whether they have their mask down or not. I mean, you know, it's the way it is. So when they're playing, but they're, they're moving around, you know, they're not, they're not standing in one place right. next to each other for a look, constantly moving around. It's bit, 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 bit. So I guess they're less at risk when they're actually playing, of course, after being tested, no mask. They're less at risk than they would be 
sitting close to one another as was well yeah here's the deal the reason the biggest reason they're less at risk is they're being tested and the vast majority of them are negative to begin with combined with the fact that you need you either need a high concentration of exposure i mean you know Joel and B might be positive and scream out something at somebody and fluid comes from his mouth and the other person's taking a deep breath and they inhale a whole bunch of, you know, spittle. That might be a one, two second event that could cause you to get it with a highly contagious person in a hypothetical case. But the odds are overwhelming. First of all, the people aren't positive when they're playing. And mm-hmm. two, they're probably running around breathing, but they're, it's an incidental quick, quick, quick. And there's not enough time to get that viral load. And it all comes down to the viral load. So, but when you're sitting, you know, you're having a conversation, you and I aren't doing this, let's say WebEx, we're talking in a room, poor ventilation, and we're, we're, we're having this length of a conversation. One of us is positive. The odds are quite good without a mask that in that kind of a setting, not moving around sooner or later, you know, spit's going to travel across in a microscopic level. I mean, not dramatic, hopefully, but a microscopic level and, and you can be exposed. So I, I, feel, I feel like that everything is done on a, on a case by case basis when it comes to these leagues with their medical experts making decisions. Um, for example, um, the Sixers have had one postponement. It was in Oklahoma City. They had just played in Memphis and they postponed the game to do contact tracing um, reportedly for something that happened with, with somebody on the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay. So it, it was something like that, where the NBA postponed a Sixers sure. game about 90 minutes before it was supposed to start out of an abundance of precaution because something happened with Memphis where they needed to do uh, contact tracing for the Sixers because they just played Memphis. But a couple of weeks ago, I'm sure you saw this, Brooklyn against Toronto in Brooklyn. Kevin Durant was a late scratch before the game out of the starting lineup. Then he came back in the game because of the person who he was a close contact to had an inconclusive test. But then he was pulled in the third quarter after only playing 19 minutes because that person who he, who, who he was around tested positive. Um, so, do, so these are like case-by-case situations. Uh, the, the New Jersey Devils um, were off for several more days than the Flyers have been off. And they didn't return until they had less people on the COVID protocol list, which doesn't necessarily mean a positive test. They didn't return until they had less people on the COVID protocol list than the Flyers did who are scheduled to return tonight. So it's like a case-by-case thing. Do you get that sense as well uh, when, you, when, you're, when you're dealing in the medical world and these different cases of coronavirus that every in individual situation is its own and there's no playbook? Like just because this... Think this one situation happened one way, the other situation has to happen the same way. Do you get the sense that it's case by case? I think there's certain things in the playbook that are set in stone, or at least CDC recommendations that we take and we take to the bank. And there are certain things that you don't mess with. And then there's the judgment. I'll give you an example in a totally unrelated thing. I get a patient, the first time I see them with high blood pressure, let's give them a chance to have a diet work on things and see if we can avoid medications. You could argue, wait a minute, that pressure's high enough. We should start the medicine now. What if they went home and had a stroke as a result? You know, and you you play your percentages, what's logical. So in the hypertensive case, if I get a person to change their diet, and that's the only reason why, if it's related to weight, I could make their life better in a million ways. And I'll take that little bit of a risk for a month. You're playing a game. Well, it's inconclusive. So you have two ways to go on an inconclusive test. Is it inconclusive and we really shouldn't let him play until we absolutely know? 
or we missed that opportunity because it turned out to be negative. Like what direction do you go? Me, conservative, not a pro sports doctor would say, you're not playing until we get conclusive. Pro sports, they make financial decisions as well. And the players make financial decisions as well. And you have to look at that, but there are risks that come with those decisions. And that's the thing. But yes, to answer your question, it's two parts. You follow the rules, but you have, to, that's where it's not a computer. It, it, you're listening to your experts and, and they have to be good at what they do. And unfortunately, at least a year out, we're at a better point where we know more. But I will tell you, you and I have talked before, the things that I thought were absolute, many of those things have changed. I mean, I, in the very beginning, and I, I'll tell you, the very first six weeks, I was like, just wear a mask if you know you're in front of someone who was positive. So in the first few weeks of the pandemic at my office, we weren't, I really wasn't wearing a mask. I wore masks when I went on the floor, but when I was like in my office or having lunch, we were all sitting there without masks. It only took a few cases to realize, oh my gosh, we're gonna wear them all the time and now we're gonna have WebExes and we moved on. But that knowledge grew over time. The same thing's happening with sports. And I think we're gonna see more. I'm very interested, like, the spring training concept for baseball and doing this, you know, there's a part of me, are they rushing it? Is this too much too fast? You know, you got to look at those things. And I, I think time will tell. Uh, you had skepticism about the NFL. They were able to finish 256 regular season games with postponements mm-hmm. on time. And they were able to finish the Super Bowl on time. Um, what was your reaction to, to that development? I was, first of all, I was delighted they were able to. And when I, and I, mean, I followed it closely, could I, could I pick and choose things I would have done differently? Absolutely. But if you look at it, I think it was pretty consistent in how they handled things. And I even think, I, I don't know about all players, but it seemed to me there were a lot of teams that took losses or risks because they followed the rules and kept players out who they knew it would hurt them. And they still did it. So I was happy to see that. Like I always had that fear, you know, what if, you know, the superstar quarterback goes, it has positive, do you just play him anyway or whatever, that kind of thing. I didn't see a lot of that happening. Again, we're not privy and for HIP and other reasons, we don't know all those facts, but from what we could see, they seem to be responsible. Um, you know, if honestly, if I was going to look at the season and how it went, um, with the exception of as fans started creeping in, and I'm still concerned about that. I love the idea of having fans and I, and I want to have fans, but I just, right now, Right now, when we have these other strains and we're starting to see the numbers go down, I'd like to have a little more time to have more, you know, the numbers slowing down longer before we start pushing it. And problem is, you have a lot of people making decisions, state level and different levels for different reasons, and every, not everybody's consistent. So let me follow up with that then. When would you feel 100% comfortable with limited capacity fans at sporting events? Has, has already happened? in some places based on the city uh, has not happened. It, actually, there were three Eagles games with limited fans. Uh, the Union, who do not play in Philadelphia, they play in Chester, had, had limited fans at times. Uh, Sixers and Flyers, Wells Fargo Center have not. Uh, Phillies, we don't know. I mean, down in Florida, they are for spring training. They're having some limited fans. When do you feel comfortable having limited fans at sporting events? Well, the first thing, and it's not going to happen, but the first thing is I'd like it to be a national overview body guideline and we're all the same like los angeles should be the same as philly same as with the proviso that if some area is a hotbed there's changes you know where we where they watch that but if i had 
if I could have the same people as like, let's just take a name. If Tony Fauci was on a committee, he can't do everything, but if he was on a committee with a bunch of other people and determining when they should play, I would feel com more comfortable than that than with every state and local official doctor expert. Cause I don't know their degree. Some are spectacular. Most are excellent, but I don't know the degree of that. I don't know the degree of whether they want to win an election or not. It's got to take, you got to take all those things out and you got to say, what is the safest way to do it? That's what I would like. That not happening, I think if you're going to do it, I feel more comfortable as we get more people closer to herd immunity with vaccination. Uh, if I'm listening to Dr. Fauci, I think he's talking June, July. He said, I heard today we might be closer to normal by Christmas time, which just seems a lifetime away. But does that mean that, you know, maybe in August you can have, you know, a third capacity at game? So that kind of thing. There's no, again, there's no science to this. Because all it takes is, as you said, the individual exposure. You could have 52 people in there, and if somebody's infectious, you could have seven people leave, and you could have no one infectious and have 30,000 and not have any problems. You know, it's all percentages and exposure. Two more questions for you. Are you still cool with uh, professional sports and collegiate sports, for the most part, uh, continuing to play with the protocol in place during the pandemic? I think I am for two reasons. I probably am still as worried as I've ever been, but there's another side to this and we're starting to see it. And that is sports can provide a psychological outlet for a lot of people and sports at a time like this is important because it brings people together in one form or another. And it also is a relief the, what I'm seeing more than anything, and, I, and it could be physicians I work with or patients I see or people I work with in the media, depression, anxiety, stress, frustration, wanting to lash out, those things are getting more and more. It's been a year. So I don't care who you are. It's really starting to impact you. People aren't seeing their parents, their grandchildren, whatever. It, it, it is really impacting. Even the fact, I was walking across the street the other day and I had a mask on and somebody said, somebody walked by and I smiled at them and I realized, I might as well just ignore them. Smiling meant nothing. I was just this person walking by. Now, I don't think the smile would make their day, but if you think about the normal encounters, it's that smile of a stranger that might pick you up in a situation. We don't get that anymore. And I think that's where sports can provide that. It's, it's something to do, you know, different than watching something on Netflix or whatever. It's something that's live and there's still a mystery about what's going to happen. And I love when people are, they have the opportunity to scream and yell, whether, you know, whether, course it wets is a carpet bagger or whether he should stay or that gives people an escape and i think that's there's a that's the value of sports and if you weren't playing honestly if there wasn't a game or a season and you knew there wasn't one i don't know how worried you'd be about whether where carson went went or not because there's no season but you know there is so there's that excitement of that my last question for you deals with the vaccine rollout where do you think these uh, professional leagues, and I guess on a smaller scale, the collegiate sports that are, part that are playing right now, where do you think the vaccine rollout should figure in with them? Uh, when should, if they want, want it, professional athletes, coaches, staff, these leagues and, and other competitive sports um, get the vaccine? Where, where should they fit in that line? I think they should fit in, um, you know, the 1A, 1B, was it the different essential worker level age risk factor. I was furious when I saw government officials getting vaccines. And I'll be across the board, Republican, Democrat. I'm like, these are not essential workers. They're very important people, 
but they're not essential workers. Why are my, why is my Senator and governor and these people getting vaccines when there's a people in nursing homes who haven't, you know, I look at like, I looked at risk versus benefit. So I look at athletes the same way. I mean, I love these players, but just because they're professional athletes doesn't mean they should get a vaccine over uh, a person, let's say, who's working uh, at Acme and uh, working with cold cuts and day to day is out there, you know, and just to score a t-shirt or others. You got to look at risk versus benefits. If you look at it logically, these players, most of them travel in pretty good conditions. They're separated and they're like we talked about in sports, they're pretty much protected, far more protected than somebody working, you know, at Costco or whatever, or, or somebody going into a classroom. So I think that's where I think we have to look at logically, not how much money people make and not how little money people make, but who needs it. And I think what, that's where it's, it's important. And I think, I think they're trying to do that. Um, you know, again, I wish there was more of a national effort uh, because I sometimes think national dialing down, it's starting to happen more to local helps because you want to have consistency and that way you don't have mix-ups where, you know, 200,000 doses were not given or being held off. You know, those kind of things we have to avoid. There has been no indication that professional athletes uh, have jumped the line. So you think the way it is now is good then you, you like, you like, you like how it's being handled now that they're waiting until the high risk uh, essential workers get the vaccines before them. Yes, but I will tell you what I think will be essential when the time comes. I, I have two ways of looking at this. First of all, I've told people this. Sometimes people, when it comes time, they feel guilty they're getting the vaccine. I say it is unethical to jump the line, but it is ethical to get the vaccine when it's your turn. In fact, it's unethical if, if, you, know, if, you, don't, if you don't get it for, there's a lot of reasons, but just assume it's unethical to jump the line. And if you have the opportunity, you should not feel guilty about getting the vaccine when it's your time because there's a reason why it's your time. For athletes, the one thing I will say that I hope they do, when it comes time for the athletes, and I think uh, Adam Silver brought this up, I think it's very important that athletes as role models, especially for different segments of society, that they speak out as role models that they got the vaccine, if they got it. In other words, to say, you know, if Kevin Durant or LeBron James says, I got the vaccine, that carries a lot of weight for somebody who may not because of past problems, not trust the government or trust a, a government program giving vaccines. Like if you have somebody, so I think the athletes can do a lot of good as role models. I mean, Charles Barkley, that classic, I'm not a role model. Well, when he likes it or not, he's a role model. So when, when he, or more importantly for young people, athletes are doing that, they're going to recognize that. Because I still think if you see, when you see athletes, leaving a stadium and they're wearing masks and doing things. I think young people see that and say, well, it, it's, it's certainly not, might not be cool, but it's certainly not uncool to wear a mask. So I'm going to do it too. And I think that's the message they send. So when it's time, I hope they're very public about it. Um, and I know there was a thought they should, but I think they backed off on the whole idea of jumping the line for that reason, because even the players and a number of them were injured or, or interviews said, you know, I don't want to get a vaccine if, you know, my 68 year old diabetic mother can't get it yet, that, you know, everybody has a parent or somebody and they realize, let's get them first, because they're the ones that literally are at greatest risk to have, uh, you know, the devastating impact. KYW medical editor, Dr. Brian McDonough, it is always a, a privilege to speak with you and get your insight. Thank you. Stay safe. And we'll talk again soon. I enjoy it. Thank you so much. And have a good day. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 